Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Frank Ocean, Coachella, and a nightmare of a situation. You're listening to The Biz Tape. the biz tape you're all things music business and media podcast i'm your host colin mckay with my lovely host coast to coast joseph wazaleski joe how are you i am fantastic colin i've i've been sleep deprived <laughs> this past weekend yeah you're not the only one uh, i keep talking to industry people and uh you know april is you know it's brutal. The, April is the beginning of okay, everything in the summer is real and we got to get yeah. this in order. So everybody I talk to is very stressed, you know, already on high gears, especially if you work in live entertainment, right? Cuz you got yeah, your I shows, mean, you got Coachella. Oh yeah, and Coachella and Coachella's Which, really Colin, the start off. The, the, cult, the I want to I want to let you in on, on a little LA secret here. On Coachella. Yeah, tell me. I mean, since now you've lived out no there. There's no traffic when Coachella happens. What do you mean? Like the city there's is like, just... If there's like half the city leaves to go to Coachella. It's crazy. <laughs> really? And then like uh, what's what's even crazier is is like... What's funny is like when you talk to people, especially like people in the industry about Coachella, you get to like two very different reactions. You get either like... Hey, are you going? Like, I'll, I'm like asking you. Are, are or you Colin, going? You ask me. You ask me. Hey, are you going to Coachella? Oh, what the fuck? Why would you say such a horrible <laughs> thing to me? That's oh. that's number one. Okay. Right? Yeah, here, okay, here again, we go. Let again. me hear number two. All right. Hey, are you going to Coachella? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Of course, I'm gonna fucking go to Coachella. <laughs> Why the fuck are you talking to me right now? And that's the other reaction. <laughs> so, Man. Oh, it's God. Two, two very opposite ends of the spectrum, but then, like, also, like, very similar vibe. Yeah, right. I'm just angry. <laughs> just mad about something happening, either its existence or you asking me the question or the two yeah. vibes, right? Man, I don't know, man. I could see both. Like, I, you know, I want to get it out there someday. I I have never been to Coachella. When I maybe I'll come visit you and just be like, "Hey, I'm going to Coachella." Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's let's hit hit Coachella. <sighs> go to a bunch of DJ sets. Which like another thing, I was just getting what is it? The three DJs. It's like Skrillex and like two other dudes that I've like never heard of in my life. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, I don't know who they are, but yeah, they're like apparently massive DJs. Yeah, right. right. And they they like closed out the festival and like they used Frank Ocean's like. Uh, like as Open. you're gonna get into later, but like the the um, skating rink, you know. Yeah. And so it's like I was just getting because I guess it just it's like you're a straight male, 
you're gonna you like Skrillex <laughs> on TikTok, <laughs> and I was like, call nine one one now. I don't know, you know if I'm there yet. <laughs> you know? Man, uh, was just shoving get... it down my throat. Yeah, right. Let's just uh, get right into it. I think with this uh, Coachella frank ocean stuff you know what i mean yeah. let's give it a further ado since you had this little preamble with it so i'm talking about frank ocean this week uh and his performance at coachella and the lack of another performance um i've seen a lot of people who are just like something happened with frank ocean i don't know i will tell you what happened with frank ocean and <laughs> we can go from there and we will you know try to surmise what's going on. So here's some basic facts before we kind of get into eyewitness testimony, basically. Um, Frank Ocean has been in the news lately because he was set to play Coachella week one and Coachella week two and have two different performances for that. Um, And for the uninitiated who are not Frank Ocean fans, he is a historically sensitive, aloof, and overwhelmingly critically acclaimed artist. Um, I like the term aloof. He is very aloof. Like he's just like always somewhere, but also never anywhere. You know what I mean? Like he'll be like, I'm on red carpet. I'm doing this stuff. And then like at things you think he would be at, he's not there. Anyway, he's, he's a very like mysterious kind of guy. And his last Mm -hmm. album, which if you don't know, was Blonde, which is only his second album ever, right? And it came out in 2016 and was huge critically acclaimed album. Pitchfork named it the top album of the 2010s. And it's the number 79 out of 500 of Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time. So, um, yeah, the man, yeah, the man's (laughs) critically acclaimed. So anyway, Frank Ocean was set to make his first live show return this year at Coachella. The first time since 2016, since Bond came out and he originally, uh, promoted that, which is over seven years ago now. So people are hype to see Frank Ocean. I mean, I, even now in the TikTok age, when he doesn't even have a current album out and he's not touring, people are still making references about Frank Ocean and Blonde and, you know, Chanel and all that kind of stuff. And so the point being is that he was set to play both weekends of Coachella and being aloof as he is, his return to live shows had a lot of anticipation, right? People were ready, were buying hard. tickets to go see Frank Ocean, right? Yes. So... Uh, like, like buying to, to just see Frank Ocean. Correct. Like this is the main event for a lot of people. This is akin to, you know, Beyonce's Coachella. You know what I mean? Like all mm-hmm. these huge, big star selling Coachella ticket people. That's Frank Ocean. So he does this first show on the weekend. It did, did not go well to say the least. And there's a lot of weird, I don't want to say speculation, but there's a lot of negative backlash that was there. And the problem with it is that a lot of it is eyewitness testimony, basically. Um, yeah. Because the concert wasn't live stream and it wasn't filmed. And so, uh, it, well, at it, least was, it, it was supposed to, right. But then it got canceled. I've, I've heard rumors of that. Um, but the point is, is that, um, there's a lot of just like phone video of this and then people talking about their experience. And so you're probably like, well, Colin, I mean, like, obviously there's a lot of pressure for him in this first seven year show. I'm sure maybe people would just also just be happy to see him. Right. Like, even if it didn't go as well, people were mad, like about this show, because again, like this is Frank Ocean was selling Coachella tickets. He was the reason people were going. So let me tell you like a few reasons why people were mad. So first off is that the show started an hour late as well as like, when it finally did start to go, it had like these weird, like very long pauses between every song. So like every song would have like at least like 30 to 45 seconds of utter silent pauses, basically. So people <laughs> are like, it's really taking you out of vibe. There's no, like the transitions are not there, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing, which is what Joe mentioned in the beginning, is there was this whole long period about constructing an ice rink, which if that's not the most Coachella thing, if you've ever heard in your life, they were constructing an ice rink on stage. In the middle of a desert. Right, exactly, in the middle of a desert. So like they were constructing this. So like millions of dollars soaking like like in this 
project. Yeah, like probably tens of people, you know, almost 100 people just putting an ice rink together and then taking it apart. And apparently that took a really long time from what I heard, like, and there's been conflicting reports about it, but apparently they tried to construct it and then Frank hurt his leg, which or foot, which I'll get into later, an ankle. Uh, and so then they had to like deconstruct it really fast because if you have a you know hurt ankle, you can't really be on ice doing whatever he planned to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that took a lot of time from people. And then the stage design was very horrendous, in my opinion. I, I sent you a TikTok, Joe. I don't know if you've seen what that Frank Ocean set design was. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll kind of give you guys a. I again, it, it was go to like, TikTok it, if you want to like really see it. It was like a riser setup, right? It was like part of the band was on like a riser. Yeah, had like a so, an ultra wide screen to view the live feed. Yes, of the show, and then but like it did look like like everybody was cluttered up, like all the like all the the musicians and stuff didn't really have their like own space to kind of like chill really or anything like chill. that or ha- yeah, and or have really space even, like, really, really communicate well as they're playing with each other. So the other thing, yeah, you're, you're hitting it on the nail. So like Joe's saying, there's this giant led screen, which is most of the space, absolutely the entire space. And I, I have to say it's like one giant screen, which is impressive but the problem was with the screen is it wasn't like if you if you think of modern concerts, right? A lot of the time with LED screens, it'll be a couple of them together, especially when the point of the LED screen is to get close ups or something that you can't see from where you're sitting. Right. Mm-hmm. So what it'll be like is a general one that I see a lot of the times is they'll have the stage and then in the back of the stage, they'll have an LED screen facing the audience and that'll be one screen. And then usually towards towards the front, you know, close to the presidium side of the stage, you will have other screens that are the same picture, maybe a different um, aspect ratio, but it's the same thing. So the idea is that like, if you're on the left side of the stage, you can see the screen that's closest to you and vice mm-hmm. versa. This was not how this screen was set up. This was one long wide screen, literally pun intended, yeah. wide like, screen. It's like ultra IMAX level wide. Right, so, it's so like, it's very, if you're very on the left side of the screen and you can't see the stage because it's just stretching maybe like a close-up shot of Frank Ocean's face, you're not seeing Frank Ocean. You're seeing like random seeing like stage his... lights or like, you know, <laughs> a organ shell or something. You know what I mean? Like literally mm-hmm. random things that you don't care about. So that's a problem. And then like Joe was saying, the stage... Even if, you know, a lot of people, we rely on screens in modern entertainment a lot, but still a lot of people love to be able to see even as small as they are, sometimes almost like miniature Barbie sized people on stage, right? It's still very thrilling to be like, that's the person there. Well, if you, if you look up footage of this, what they did was, is that like Frank and them are like underneath the screen and it looks like the tiniest little sliver that you can see. And there's like all this stage shit in the way. Like there's like all this like trussing and lights and like equipment. So like Joe's saying, it seems very claustrophobic to the musicians, but on top of that, like you can't see them. They're in the most like little sliver of it. It's like you're looking, it's like if the concert was a door and Frank Ocean was like, I'm in the peephole. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, so people were mad because you can't see anything. And then on top of that, there's just some weird kind of um, weird decisions when it came to uh, the direction creatively of what was going on. Like people were mad that he didn't play one of his signature songs, uh, Chanel. For some reason, there was a 15-minute DJ set in the middle of his mm-hmm. yeah, performance. And a, security, and a security guard who threw ass. Yeah, right. And it was awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was probably the best part. Yeah, it's just a clip of him and the guy's just like twerking on a, you know, box. It's the best thing I've ever seen. (laughs) But the point is, is that like there's this random DJ. And if you've been waiting seven years and maybe flew across the country and paid hundreds of dollars to see Frank Ocean, you don't give a shit about this. 
and the DJ ended up playing Chanel, which is one of Frank's biggest songs. And Frank's just mm-hmm. like mouthing it off mic, and people are like, "What the fuck?" You know what I mean? Like, I didn't yeah. come here for Frank Ocean karaoke or a Frank Ocean well, I, rave. I came here for Frank like, Ocean. Like, people were saying it was like listening. It was like a. It was like a listening party. It was like an overhyped listening party. Yeah, essentially. It, it, and that was kind of what it, it felt like to a lot of people. And then finally, other than that, like you have this, Frank's limping around the stage. You can find videos of him where he clearly has gotten hurt in some capacity, it looks like. Um, due to the time they had lost, probably due to that injury, making sure Frank was okay, which I don't blame them for, but also just like the whole thing with the ice rink and then the DJ playing and the long pauses and stuff, they lost a lot of time. And so one Mm -hmm. thing people don't know about Coachella is that Coachella has very strict curfews because of where it is. Um, and the like local ordinances that are there because the local community is a bunch of killjoys and lamos. No, they're fine. But like, you know, they just have strict, ordinances where they are right so the point is is that what i'm trying to say is that like when it's 12 a.m that's the curfew on saturday on sunday for coachella you're not supposed Mm -hmm. to have any loud sound past that right so frank set went over that and so they're you know trying to be like okay we need to wrap this up and obviously it's this kind of nuanced dance of like let us do one more song let us go whatever but also they're Coachella is trying to not get fined because they will get fined, but also keep good relations with the local community, which is honestly the more important thing. Frank went over after paying about 90 minutes. That's when he ended up stopping. But Frank went over about 20 minutes of that curfew, which Mm -hmm. by estimations that I found costs Golden Voice about $35,000 to do that in fees because the government has fines for this. So, Mm -hmm. Interesting enough, I thought this was super interesting. The first five minutes, if you go from 12 to 12.05, if you stop at 12.02, if you stop at 12.03, whatever, that first five minutes, you are automatically charged $20,000. Wow. No matter what. And every Mm -hmm. minute past that, you get one grand it costs you. So I guess if you're already past it, it's just like, Sky's the limit, baby. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you might as well. <laughs> right. You might like, as well send it. And to be honest, it is a drop in the bucket. They were paying, uh, supposedly they're paying Frank Ocean around $4 million for this show. So this is a mm-hmm. drop in the bucket. You know, maybe if they wanted to, they could be like, Frank, we want this money. And he would probably be like, okay, that's thirty-five grand out of $4 million. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so the point is, is that it's kind of more of trying to maintain a good relationship with the local government than anything because Coachella notably in the same spot all the time and everything like that. They don't want to piss off the local government too much. They could take the fine. You know what I mean? It's kind of that principle of being like, if, if a punishment is a fine, then to rich people, it's free. It's kind of the same thing. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But the point that I'm trying to make is that they don't want to do that. So it's going to, you know, sour relationships with the people who live there and maybe could cause more ordinances like that. Like imagine if they're like, they don't even listen to us. What if we made it $50,000 after five minutes? Like they don't want that. You know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. anyway, ocean again, ended up playing Frank ocean ended up playing 90 minutes. Um, after that, he was, basically mauled online people were just coming after him and it didn't help because all there was were people taking videos of like the weird parts of the show like you're saying like the like the security guard twerking or like people being like what is this dj doing here or like showing how impossible it was to see so everyone leaving the show and like yeah so people are getting to highlight reel of the worst moments of the entire thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so he's getting mauled even by people that weren't there. There's some people defending him, as there always are with Frank Ocean. But after that, um, Ocean pretty swiftly, I think it was about a day or two after, his uh, management and reps confirmed that his week two performance he had decided to drop. And he was replaced by 
Blink-182, a.k.a. the most polar opposite act I could think of to yeah, replace that's Frank horrible, Ocean. <laughs> that's a horrible decision. <laughs> Which I will get... Okay, I will defend Coachella a little bit for this after we get a little bit further. But, like, as a consumer... In my consumer brain, without thinking of, like, production and logistics, I would be so mad. Like, if I oh, bought yeah. week two tickets to see Frank Ocean and there's not even someone vaguely close to Frank Ocean not to even see, close. right? Instead, <laughs> like, you get three white dudes who made a lot of money and they're... And one of them has punk, a lot of education music. and is proving aliens exist. Those are the, the, the things you're getting. <laughs> anyway, the point is, is that he canceled his reps claim that it's due to his ankle injury he sustained and his doctor told him to stay off of it, which I can I can believe because, like, I've seen a couple videos of him and it looks like he's just powering through on stage and he's just, you could see it, he's jumping on his right leg in a lot of these videos and so he doesn't put weight on his left leg. So I really think he got hurt and that's also why I think the ice rink thing was a disaster, even though mm-hmm. it was alleged. It might have been like, hey, we didn't set this up fast enough or, you know, miscommunication but like if there was a whole thing of is frank's leg really hurt and it's the middle of the show and they're like well we got to start building the ice rink anyway we're losing time and then they're like frank's actually really hurt we're not doing the ice ring thing then they're gonna take it all back i believe that anyway there are that's you know me being nice guy i think also it is not the worst assumption and a lot of people pointed this out online to think that frank being the sensitive guy that he is might have decided not to go to week two other than being hurt because of how negative the debut was after six years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. After six years, you don't play, you're not doing anything, and you come back, people are hype, and all you see is negative stuff. I wouldn't want to play either. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But, Joe, what what do you think about... um, What do you think about that theory? Do you think maybe that was part of the decision here? You know? Like, to have all these negative reviews? It's... From, I I don't think you can say any like it is. It, it was a shit show of a performance, like through yeah. and through. I think like you could argue that it's like Frank being artful. It's it's his vision. Uh, notably, his Justin Bieber said that he did a great job. So uh, out of all people to jump, you know, for him, I'm sure JB Justin is- likes it. I'm no, sure critically great. acclaimed Justin Bieber is going to win Justin over the Bieber critically snobby Frank and Ocean then, fans. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's something that like, I think ultimately, like I, I I'm not familiar though with those clips you're talking about of, of Frank limping. I haven't seen, I've those. seen I've a couple seen the opposite. I've seen like a lot of people talking about how there really isn't much evidence of him having an injury on set because he is like bouncing around and like walking fine backstage and like, it's kind of up to debate. It feels like it's a little bit weird. I've just seen videos where he on stage is jumping one legged and there doesn't seem to be any reason other than his leg hurts to do that. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, clearly, and here's the thing. It's hard to tell, especially with anything on stage and especially when you just hear things, right? What the severity of what's going on, right? Clearly, he wasn't dying, right? Yeah. But also at the same time, he might have been a trooper, right? Like, he could have just been a trooper. He could have just been like, I'm going to get through this pain. That also doesn't really explain the 30-minute DJ set. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt on the injury. I'm not gonna give him the benefit of the doubt on a 15 minute DJ set in the middle of your six year return. I think if Frank got out there and like I a lot of people have this opinion as well, but I I truly do think that like if Frank got out there with a stool and sat on a stool and sang his songs, it would be incredible. That's what I saw. I saw, but I was actually talking, shout out to uh, one of my buddies at work who listens to it, who's probably building a rack right now. Shout out to you. Anyway, the point is, is that uh, he, he even said he was like, I would have watched Frank Ocean just like in a chair. You know what I mean? Like guess who broke their leg on stage and didn't leave. (laughs) Dave Grohl. Yeah. And did an entire tour on it, which like, you know, Frank did the whole performance and that's great. And like he, I don't know, he's trying to execute some vision, but like from what 
I've been seeing a lot of people are saying like the behind the scenes was very hectic and that it was more of like Frank's decision making that led to a lot of scrambling yeah, uh, amongst the staff, especially with the production crew. Um, and so it's like, I, I somewhat am like, yeah, he could have like been in a position of like, yeah, he's not going to ice skate. Right. Or something. Right. Which like, I that, hope he that wasn't going to do like that in general. In the worst but, way for him, that is the most extreme thing to test that injury. If he hurt his yeah. ankle, like I will give him the benefit of it the would, doubt. It would have been insane. But like, I also feel like there could have been something to, to maybe like make it cool of like him being like in the middle of it or something like just in his own little area. And like, there's ice skaters around him or something like that. But like, again, there's like so much logistics that goes into that. What I am confused about is like, if that is truly the issue that happened, why isn't his team saying anything about that? Because I think a lot of people would have had more sympathy if that was what was happening. Of like, yeah, he has an ankle injury, like he can't you be feel doing this. Like, and I think I feel right. like a lot more people would be like, Oh, okay, like cool, like we understand, like we don't want, you know, Frank to be hurt and like forced to do this performance if he's not physically able to do it. But I also do think it comes from like just a lack of either I don't know what, I don't want to say lack of prep because like there's so many behind the scenes of like Frank performing with these ice skaters and stuff like that came out and like BTS. It feels like a lack of maybe communication, especially well, in the beginning I think it of was, the show. I, truly, I, I do think Frank just changed his mind like That's an your hour theory? before the show. Yeah. I, I just think he changed his mind and he he decided to completely change the whole situation and probably had to work with the production staff, like their team of like, okay, what's a compromise we can do here uh, to do it. But I, I do think like there was a, like there were multiple decisions that were like, we have to change this whole thing. And even, but like the set itself shouldn't be changed. You know what I mean? Like if it's, if it's truly a production issue or like Frank's leg, like I don't see why the DJ set is necessary (laughs) in that situation. It feels like to me that I do agree with you. I feel like there totally could have been situations that knowing kind of the creative brain around Frank Ocean and all this kind of stuff there may have been some fast and not as thought through decisions very last minute to try to have some creative vision. Right. And I don't know, you know, we'll really never know the extent of it, but we do know the experience that fans had, which was very negative. Right. And, um, I, uh, just don't, my thing is, is that with so much at stake, after six years, I could totally understand from an artist's perspective having like second thoughts and doubts creatively about how to go through with something, right? And how mm-hmm. to execute it, and maybe having so much pressure on it that you decide to change last minute. But it does feel like one of those things where, if that was the case, if it is, again, a legend, then that's the room where someone should have stepped in and go, no, we can't. There's no way, right? Yeah, and um, well, and, and too, like just thinking of, you know, the di- the professional dancers and skaters and everyone involved in the production, and like them just like being told that they're no longer needed, able to do it when they've been rehearsing for weeks and weeks, and it's like it truly is like, it, and like especially with like no kind of like, like no kind of reason. Of like, you why? know, the thing that's that the I thing wanna... for me, that's like, I, I, it just seems disrespectful. That statement me. feels very about the leg and everything. Like it's pro it, I, I feel like it's one of those that has weight to it, literally has truth in it. But I also feel like it's a statement of read between the lines. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what it feels like where it's like, you can know why Frank Ocean canceled the second show. 
because of the negative reaction. It feels like it is so, it has such brevity. It is so short and terse that it feels like you fill in the blanks, right? That's mm-hmm. what it feels like. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. 
I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. The thing that I think is interesting from the Coachella angle in this, at the end of the day, is that Frank essentially canceled his headlining performance a week before the show, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously there is this is a very unique situation compared to canceling shows because he did just perform at the festival and the festival is an oddity in having two weeks, right? Um mm-hmm. so it's not like there is not a significant majority I wouldn't say majority. There isn't there is a significant amount of people at Coachella that also go to week two, right? Yeah. So you do have cross-pollination. Well, you, now, right? you miss out on all of the people. You go back to see the people you missed out on week week one. Right. So it's kind of like... There, there's a chance that some fans that may have seen him twice at least saw him once, even if it was lackluster, right? What mm-hmm. I think is interesting is the aspect of canceling a show one week before, Coachella specifically, and the high ticket prices that are around Coachella, and the yeah. high expectation of travel to Coachella. So yeah, I was I mean, thinking flying uh, around the world. For thinking Coachella. of, I mean, Coachella is considered the bougiest, the luxury, the festival for most of the you know the music world. world. It is an art statement of a festival, right? And so there are people, like I said, there are people flying. There are people that have saved years of money to go to this. There are people that have moved things out of their lives to be here. And Frank canceled because of this, right? And like Mm -hmm. we were saying, Frank Ocean playing after not playing for six years, people are dropping everything to see this guy, right? So for me it's a bad time for Coachella because you have all these people. I guarantee that we're like, I want a refund. I want a refund right now because the reason I bought this ticket, maybe even the whole weekend was so I could go see Frank ocean. Right. And so not to mention the people that maybe bought both weekends and wanted to see him twice. Right. So the thing that I would say, right. Is Coachella had a huge hole to fill. At the end of the day, they're going to lose people no matter what, right? They're going to lose people that are like, we want money. And at the end of the day, they're going to try to either get refunds or they're just going to have a bad experience or a worse experience, either trying to get the re. It's a lot of pressure on Coachella, right? And so they have to replace him with somebody. And to be honest, going back to my production thing, Blink-182 in a consumer brain set, I go, my consumer brain goes, this is stupid. This is a stupid decision. Not because Blink-182 was bad. It's just more of, if I've made a Venn diagram of Blink-182 and Frank Ocean fans, like Blink-182 would be, would be here and Frank, o- Frank Ocean would be in the like other room. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like the point is, is that it's not like a, oh, you know what? That's kind of related, right? Like at least we could win some well, people over. No, but I think, I think there may be something said of like they, the festival knew that when Frank dropped, a lot of his fans were just going to just refund their tickets or just not come. So I think there is like a big, I will give you that, right. Is that 
like I said, two divergent points. But this is very much, if you guys have been listening for a while, close to the logic that Jay-Z uses since now Rockefeller does the Super Bowl. It is very close to that, which is that there are not a lot of people in one week that can create and have ready to go a Coachella level performance because Coachella requires so much more of artistry and like stage design and stuff like that. So for Coachella, they have such thin pickings that the ability to get another person for relatively around the same amount of price, which it's been rumored that they blink a one two played for Frank Ocean's $4 million, right? So it's like, here's another act, maybe tomato, tomato. We're not paying more. It's logistically more hard, but still we're not upfront paying more, right? That's mm-hmm. a pretty difficult decision to make. And so I kind of commend them for that in that way. That's what my production brain goes because that's the problem is it's not like, Oh, you can get somebody to play. It's like, no, you need somebody who's going to play to Coachella level. And the only people that are ready to have Coachella production are mostly people that played the day before or earlier that day with Frank ocean. (laughs) So uh, that's where that comes from. And I understand that the logistical side of that is very much tied up. It is a tight little bow. It makes sense, right? For me, if I was Golden Voice, the promoter of Coachella, I would go, this is our solution. This will tie it in a knot. Let's ask them. Because there's not really that many other people that could do it. But from a fan Mm -hmm. side, I'm like, screw that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, no. And that's the hard part is that you're not going to win over people by being like let me explain you all of this industry nuance no yeah. no one is ever going to care about that well, they're going to care the about the experience like, i i feel like the level of mysteriousness that of frank ocean's brand is kind of coming to a head of like actually like harming his brand and right. his his like view and his even his hardcore fans are having a hard time wrapping their head around what happened and it's because when you are wanting Frank Ocean, your expectations are very high. Yep. And there is a level of like maybe fans shouldn't have as high expectations, but there is something to like the guys headlining a massive, inter- pretty much international festival at this point, right? right? So it's like the expectations should be high of that, of like getting a good performance out of that and like getting your money's worth. Um, for even coming to the festival and stuff. And so it's like, to me, it's like, it it really does read even the lack of information that his camp is providing to the public is reading PR bad (laughs) for lack of a better term, because it's like, it's, it's just people are reading it as disrespectful to the fans, to the people who got him to where he is today to like these people who are giving him money And so there is a level of like, you know, if Frank came out and was like, I want to quit music, like, I I don't think people, I think people would be so sad that that's the case. But I do think for the most part, Frank's fans would be like understanding because it makes sense for him. But if it's just like, hey, I'm going to play this one performance from six years and you're going to have to pay all this money. You're going to have to wait at the stage all day to see me. To vaguely see me. (laughs) To vaguely see me behind the 8,000 organ cases (laughs) that, like, you can't, no one could see (laughs) anything. Like, it, it is a bit of a, it does, like, it doesn't make much sense. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And that's what, that's the saddest part about it is like, like you're saying, I, I, I like Frank Ocean. I like Frank Ocean's music. I, I think he's one of the best artists, but it's also, I also feel like can be the most frustrating. I cannot, my thing is, my thing is, is I cannot encapsulate more how much of a disappointment that was. That is the word I want to use. Like, I 
no matter what is going on, I feel bad, you know, if he did get hurt and all that kind of stuff. But the level of disappointment that is in that show is so incomprehensible. Like it well, to somebody who's yeah. like been with Frank Ocean since, you know, pre Frank Ocean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when he was in the oh God, why am I Odd Future? It? Yeah, when he was in Odd Future, literally. Yeah. He was in Odd Future for like two seconds <laughs> and then he blew up. <laughs> yeah, literally. I guess I guess he wasn't in there for like two seconds. He was in uh wait, was he in Loiter Squad too? I feel like he was, but um he was like in that crew for a little bit and then he kinda like separated during it before right. even Tyler got out of the thing. But it is like Man, it is just, it is from a fan perspective, it is disappointing. I do think from a human perspective, I can see how like even coming out, doing a performance like that is so nerve wracking, especially if you haven't performed in like years and years. But I also just feel like he doesn't want to perform. I feel like he doesn't want to tour. He doesn't want to do this. So like why, why You know what's the worst part is, um, He's got like such a high standard of Coachella. He actually talks about it a lot in his songs too. And like the expectation that is Coachella and like what's expected and all this kind of stuff. And like this really high respect for a lot of artists that have performed Coachella specifically. He has like comments where he talks about like literally being at Coachella and loving it and being like, I think it'd be awesome if I play. So that's even the most heartbreaking part of it. Right, is to be like he's yeah. Lied in Coachella. I, he kind of he kind of did say he has like a love hate with Coachella. Like he doesn't like it. He just like liked the memories of his of of him and his brother, who sadly passed away last year. And like he likes those memories of like spending time with his brother. I think at least that's the way I read it. Of like, but he doesn't actually like l- enjoy going to Coachella. I think the only reason he enjoyed going was because he was with his brother. That's true, but, you know, obviously I think there's some, you know, emotion baked into the location and the scene as well, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like, a nostalgic element and a personal element to it, for sure, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, to a level, there there is a certain level of, like, if he was not prepared to perform, he shouldn't have been booked to do it, you know? Right, he should have given himself uh, some more time because, like, we would have waited for it's Frank six to come years, back. right? It's if he yeah, was six, six and years, a half, might as well make a ten, right? You know, like who cares? And like most Frank fans are like aware that it's f- everything's fucking weird. They're <laughs> like, aware of like, his do struggles. Do you remember, Colin? Do you remember the blonde debut? What happened during that whole process? Like the release of that. Vaguely, tell me about it. He had a whole other record that was released on his old label uh, that was a visual record, and it was like of him building a house or a staircase or something. Like, and it was a live stream, 24 hour live stream of that for like a week or something. And it was like on a loop of like what was going on, of like him building this thing. It was like super art film aesthetic vibe. And yeah. it came out like there was some songs in it that were like pretty dope, but it was like not really like a full album, but it was considered an album basically to get out of his deal. <laughs> and then the next day when they released the whole album on streaming, the label, he dropped blonde, <laughs> which is so, so disrespectful. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> Right, because like he dropped it, I'm pretty sure on his own record label. Like I could be wrong; I should look into it. But it was like his his own record label that he dropped it on, and it just completely blew the other thing out of the water. Like no one cared. It was like those were all throwaway songs. Like everybody knew it, right? But it was like, but at the same time, he kept like it was like he was teasing his fans the whole time. Of that, of like they had to watch this thing for a week. And then it was like not even the thing. <laughs> and it was it was just kind of wild. It was like a wild release. And like a lot of people had a, uh, had mixed emotion about that as well. But again, like nobody remembers that. Everybody just remembers how, to ma- how amazing Blonde is. 
you know? Yeah. So it's, it, there is like a level there too of like, you know, probably in like a year, not even probably in like two months, nobody's going to remember this. Like the, the cycle is so crazy, but I do think that from, if I was Coachella, if I was the promoter for Coachella, um, I probably wouldn't book Frank again. Yeah. Right. And that, that's like straight up. Like, I, I don't know, like, especially if communication was horrible, like we don't know like the behind the scenes or anything, but it, it is like one of those things of like, he might've, he might've ruined his relationship with golden voice and, and honestly, probably other festivals who watched what went down. It's true. It'd be hard for me to be like, let's go to Bonnaroo. You know what I mean? No, dude, it might be hard for him to do a tour. Because fans might not even want to buy the tickets for fear of Frank canceling. It's true. The tour. Yeah, I mean, okay. Well, now now you brought that up. Actually, this is a good time to bring this up. So I did our weekly poll, which you will can find on our Instagram at the Biz Tape, pretty much everywhere. And I asked, "What is the minimum amount of time artists should give to announce a show is canceled?" And so. I started because to be honest, for me, anything past like a week is a pretty good amount of time, right? Yeah. Like anything like that's insane that a week. <laughs> and, and so like I said, a week is a bare minimum. So here's your four options. I put a week before three days before a day before and the day of, and I said eight plus hours just to be generous, right? Mm-hmm. Cause if you're doing it sub eight hours, especially if it's a big show, people are traveling, Right. People got to turn cars around. They got to get connected. They got to buy new plane tickets. Right. Yeah. So um, it gets gets messy. That's where I put like the amount of time that's like courteous, you know, if maybe you would want to think. So, Joe, I'm going to ask you before I tell everybody, what what did you think? What what, what do we think? Do you think, you know, a minimum amount of time? I was I was definitely projecting like the Frank thing when I was thinking of this. And I was like, you know, if you're not going to perform and you know, you're not going to perform, then like, why would you drag it out? Just like a week before, you know, but I am kind of like, I'm thinking on it now. I'm like, I feel like three days is a good amount of time. I think, you know, if you got a Saturday show and it's Thursday and you cancel, you know what I mean? I feel like like you can cancel it and nobody's going to be mad. Right. A lot of people work nine to fives or, you know, have like a Friday job or something. And maybe that's when they would leave to go maybe travel or something. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So like that's enough to be like, okay, we're not going to leave all this kind of stuff. I would say, I would say a minimum amount is a day. If I said minimum, be just mm-hmm. because, and again, this is a difficult question because of, I didn't really give you leeway because it kind of depends on the show, right? When yeah, it in depends the, on the, the, it also depends on the situation of canceling. That is true. I mean, and, and so like going to the show point, right? If you have a show that's Coachella, it's like, man, you better be, there, there's got to be a lot of time before you change a major festival lineup, which is why Frank Ocean's one is a little bit more egregious than anything because it, it again, it's Coachella. You're paying upwards of $600, $700 a ticket, right? To see a weekend mm-hmm. or something like that. So these are high bids. People are coming out of town just to see this headliner, all this stuff. This is big money, right? So that gives you even more like, lenient or that gives you even more hey wait if you're canceling you need to tell us like right away right you need to tell us months in advance right because people you are the selling point for this festival if you're like the headliner right and on top of it even if you weren't like festivals have a lot of stuff going on a lot of logistics and like i said sometimes depending on how much production there is, it's harder to replace you the closer and closer you get. So that's an example of that. But if, you know, like if you're playing like a little club somewhere, like 200, 500 people, it's like, you know, you could maybe do it the day of like, be like, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, something like that. But, and then also like you're saying the situation, like how are you doing it? Um, money wise, you know, like what is this event? Right. That's a lot of going into it. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. 
I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star starting May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, 
I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. Joe, what have you been listening to? Uh, Frank Ocean. Uh, no, I... <laughs> Um, I've been listening a lot to um, this new Japanese house song, Sad to Breathe. It's so good. It is everything I wanted out of a Japanese house release. Um, and I'm just so excited about this record. Like, I, I haven't been like, I haven't had a single that, that's been released recently that I've been like so excited to hear except this song. And I don't know what does it for me. It's just like, I think there's just like so much musicality in the track and like it kind of like the beginning of the song, there's like a surprise and it's like, it's very, very, it just hits all the right spots in my brain, (laughs) you know? So yeah, I've been listening basically that song on repeat. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What about you? So I feel like I got clowned on by Mac DeMarco. Um, <laughs> so let me explain. So first I still off, haven't listened to it. Okay. So let me explain it to people that don't know. Uh, me and Joe have been texting about it because it's ridiculous. And I'll explain. So some of the listeners of this show will remember that on this show, I was like, guys, there's this little song that's on YouTube from Mac DeMarco. And he like is in this NPR video and he says, oh, this is just like garbage funk. And it's like the coolest little song that I like a lot. And I was like, go to YouTube. It's like an obscure thing, all this kind of stuff. And then Mac DeMarco was like, you hipster bitch. Actually, it's (laughs) not going to be obscure anymore. So Mac DeMarco put that song out. And if you want to find it, it's just a number. It's 2019-0724, just like the date basically. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it is. Along with that, he put out my other favorite 198 songs. The man put out a 199 song album the other day because he hasn't really put out anything in like, I think a year or two. And it's just like all of his demos. (laughs) And, um, it's, uh, it's called one way G and it is literally 199 songs. They are like, most of them are like two minutes or longer, you know, like two to five minutes. Um, A lot of them don't have vocals, but they're like, a lot of them are like full stuff. Like it'll be like all the instrumentation and stuff like that. And it really feels like you're going like through his demo book where he's like, look at all the things that didn't make it. And it's really interesting from like a production thing to be like, wow, this is what he would turn away. You know what I mean? Like, I, uh, I can hear I'm this listening song to it right now, and it's like the perfect like background noise. Like, music. oh yeah, same it's shout like, out to the same coworker who turned me on to it. He was like, "It's <laughs> like, did you know Mac DeMarco released 199 songs today?" And he was like, "I've just been sitting at my desk and I just put it on." So like, if you want, <laughs> this, honestly, it is the definition other than not being um, lo-fi, but it has the same vibe as lo-fi beats to chill slash study slash relax to, except it's back to Marco. Yeah. But yeah, I it, I like it. It's really fun. Um, but, so you know. got a shit ton of streams on this thing. I know, it's which crazy. is the funny thing, because it's 199 songs. Um, but yeah, there's that in there. Uh, if you finally want to listen to the Garbage Funk song, it is 2019-0724. Sadly, most of the songs on here are just numbers. They're not like... Uh, they're the date, 
of like whenever I guess maybe he recorded it or like finished it or started it. I don't know. In my mind, knowing recording songs, it's probably when he started it. But like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, it's really funny. And like, what's really funny too is there's like tracks in here that are like the date, and then it'll be the same date, and it'll just say two. So it's like he did that song in the same day as the other song. So you can like listen to it and be like, huh, this was a change. And you did this the same mm-hmm. day, like that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I've been just, I'm on number 50 <laughs> of the 199 oh, yeah. songs. So we're making it through baby. Iconic. Well, I'm just going to go fall asleep and listen to this, this album. How long is this? I just realized though. I, this album, it's, yeah. uh, it's nine hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> Me realizing I've so wasted. It's literally, like, it's it's like a whole day. Oh my god, this is the most perfect. Okay, somebody, somebody <laughs> do this. Put it on somebody, it? somebody do this. When you wake up, I'm assuming you work an eight-hour job. Wake up. Let's put it like, on. You, it's gonna take you like you know maybe like an hour or whatever in your commute. Listen to it all the way there. Then you're just gonna leave it on the rest of your work day. The entirety I, of the workday. I'm straight up gonna just use this as like TikTok sounds. They're this good, dude. Record. They're good songs. They I are like good. They're, they're like fun little, you know, like indie pop. Like he, yeah, sh- like he should honestly sell these to commercials. I'm honestly surprised, but yeah, but yeah. If you want to do, if you want to do me a favor, just do a little experiment. Be like a day of Mac DeMarco. <laughs> oh yeah. Guys, thanks for listening to the Biz Tape. You're all things music, business, and media podcast. We sure do appreciate you out there. Anyways, we are really back on the content bug. We've been doing some more clips from the show, so you can see our lovely faces on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to follow us there at the Biz Tape, as well as doing even more content, such as our like song series and everything on that page, as well as our poll every Monday. If you want to participate with the Biz Tape community and talk about music business. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you so much and as always see you next time welcome to 500 greatest songs a podcast based on rolling stones hugely popular influential and sometimes controversial list i'm Brittany spanos and i'm rob sheffield we're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great from classics like fleetwood max dreams to the ronettes be my baby and modern day classics like the killer's mr brightside listen to rolling stones 500 greatest songs on the iheart radio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and in the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 